Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? We'll get to know your emotions. When things go wrong, anger is there. This is anger. He will make sure the world knows anger is in control. But what you really need to watch out for is when he's out of control. Get to know your emotions. All right, fess up. How many of you, you know that guy? We are in church. You got to tell me, is that you? Oh, we've all been there, haven't we? We don't want to admit it, but there are moments in our lives where our emotions are completely out of control, and we may not grab a chair, but boy, there are a lot of things going through our head. It is so good to have you here this morning. Welcome to Portico, and if you're joining us online and in the chapel over in the video cafe, so good to have you here. Grab your Bibles, and if you need to borrow a Bible today, raise your hand real high. Ushers are making their way through the room. We have them in the video venue as well. If you're online, or if you'd like to, you can download our app. That way you can track along and follow it and have our announcements, and everything is right there in front of you. So be sure to get the Portico app, and ushers, thanks for doing that. While you get your Bibles, going to be an easy place to find today. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. If you're new to the Bible... Open the cover. You're there. And we're going to get into chapter 4 in just a moment. Today we're going to be talking about uncontrolled emotions. We've all seen them. I know we have. They're called the dreaded temper tantrums. The terrible twos. Ooh. In a restaurant, at a park, at a sports event, at a family gathering, in the church, doesn't matter. It's not pretty. They're screaming and crying and ranting and stubbornness and anger, and that's just the parents. <laughs> now, to be fair, emotions affect all of us. They're not merely the domain of the children. They impact all of our lives. Even full-grown adults are not immune to a temper tantrum. We may not demonstrate it externally, but we feel it internally. Am I not right? Okay, just tracking. Want to make sure. There's the slamming of doors. There's the pouting, the fist banging, the shouting. Road rage. Sports fans fighting. Verbal jousting matches with our neighbors. There's the Christmas shopping meltdowns and everything that's associated with that. And it seems we never really grow out of our temper tantrums. Now we learn how to control them a little bit better. But the question we want to ask ourselves this morning is what happens if uncontrolled emotions are not merely ignored, but they dominate our life, what takes place then? So our series, is, our series is called Heroes and Villains, and we've been looking at characters in the Bible who can help us in the hero side live better lives. We learn from their principles and their values, and we build those into our lives. The villains are helping us understand what do we avoid? What are the things that we need to know about, and then how do we avoid them? Today's villain is a gentleman by the name of Cain. Now, his name has to be associated with Abel, Cain and Abel. It's as old. It's the oldest story that we have. We know what happened. We know the outcome, and murder takes place. But what I want to do today is I want to have a look at the context of the story, particularly as it relates to uncontrolled emotions. And I want to see what happened in Cain's life that just maybe there's some lessons for us today. And if we could see what was taking place, there are moments in our lives where we can learn what to avoid or how to navigate or what we need to do to make our way through the moments where we face the pressure and we feel one of those meltdown moments coming on. So here we have the story, the background really quickly. Adam and Eve have been ejected from the Garden of Eden, and so we know that now it's going to be through toil and sweat and labor that they're going to earn their living. Cain is the firstborn into the family. He has bragging rights. How many of you are firstborn in the room? Raise your hand real high. 
Of course you are. You're proud of it. You are the firstborn in your family. You're the one the rest of us despise because you hold it over us that you're the firstborn. Abel comes along. He's the secondborn. Every other child after the firstborn, according to the oldest ones, are spoiled because mom and dad practiced discipline habits on the oldest one, and everyone after that got a free ride, basically. That's what we think. So no different. Life really hasn't changed, has it, all that much? Cain and Abel, both are being raised in a home. Both learned about the the disobedience and the failure in the Garden of Eden. So we put the context around the story. Both grow up pursuing their own interests. Interesting that Cain would choose to pursue his uh, career in agriculture. So he would be looking at the harvest of the crops and the fruits and the vegetables, where his brother Abel went into the livestock industry. And we know about that, particularly because of Genesis chapter 4. Well, there's a moment where both brothers recognized that mom and dad, the way they lived their lives, is that God was a present reality. Not a, not a picture, not an image, not a thought. The presence of God was a reality. So both of the boys go, we do what mom and dad do. We're going to present an offering to the Lord. And that's where the story is going to pick up. And each would come with an offering according to their particular field of interest in their career path. And it's when we pick up this story that we find that their gestures of faith quickly devolve into a fractured mess where one brother, Cain in particular, has this uncontrolled emotional breakdown, and it just absolutely decimates the family structure. And the outcome is just heartbreaking because we will have a murder that we have to reconcile in this story. So what I want to do today is, if you wouldn't mind keeping your Bibles open, I'm going to read Genesis 4. We're going to start at verse 3, and then I'm going to walk through the story with my points rather than read it all, because I want to go back and forth so we can see it unfold within the context. you okay with that? You have to be. I'm speaking. So here we go. All right. No, it's good. Keep your Bibles open. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to go to verse 3, and you can take notes. Here's what it says in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. So the Lord looked with favor on Abel, on his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. That's just another way of saying he was mad, he was going to have a temper tantrum, and he was pouting about what God had just done. He was the firstborn. He had the bragging rights. Abel was the second in. Why is God now favoring the secondborn of the family? This man's about to throw a temper tantrum that would cost him far more than he knew in the moment. His uncontrolled emotions would leave him in a terrible state. So when we look at the story, here's what I want to draw for you. And if you're going to take some notes this morning, I'd encourage you to do that. We're going to look at four hazards of uncontrolled emotions. Some of you are getting a little emotional right now. I barely get finished with three points, and I just said we're going to do four. So hang on, we're going to get there. Four hazards of uncontrolled emotions. And I want you to see in Cain's life how this all comes into play. What happens that takes two brothers offering their sacrifice to God to a point where one murders the other, and the story is one of future abandonment. All right, in your notes, number one, uncontrolled emotion ignores spiritual Direction. Uncontrolled emotion will ignore spiritual direction. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, your Bibles are still open. We read this in verse 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, He said, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now, immediately, there's a key phrase that you want to underline, and I often do this in my own Bibles. It's this phrase right here If you do what is right. There's a clear indication in Scripture that Cain knew what it was he needed 
to do. So he knew what was acceptable. He knew what he needed to offer to the Lord in order to make all of this together acceptable. And yet there's this uncontrolled breakdown that takes place. So let's talk about the offerings just for a moment. Two brothers brought an offering to the Lord. It indicates that they had this awareness that God was worthy of embracing a proper relationship that you offer a sacrifice to him. But the two sacrifices differ, or the two offerings uh, differ quite significantly. The Bible says that Abel brought the first of his flocks and the best of his flocks. So different translations render it differently, but in essence what it's saying, he brought the first fruit of his flock and it was the best of his flock to give to God. Cain, on the other hand, if you look at verse 3, and it's very, very important, it says he brought some of his goods to offer to God. You go, so why the distinction? Because it clearly does not indicate that he brought the best and the first to God. Now, he brought an offering, and so he's coming in. Well, immediately when I read this, I start thinking, what is this telling me in the story that I should be aware of? Abel responded to God with a heart of faith, a depth of love, a depth of obedience and emotion. He brought the very best. He wanted to honor God out of this beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who is the provider for his life, who blesses him. And so he brings the very best offering. Cain brings an offering of appeasement. There's a little bit of this indication in here that quite possibly Cain's relationship to God was, hey, we're the guys that got kicked out of the garden. He's the powerful guy. He can rule the world. I want to make sure that I keep my relationship with God. I'll do what's sort of necessary just to keep God happy. We do that, don't we? What does he really want me to do just to kind of keep him happy? Some of us have that image of God that he's like this, you know, powerful, angry God and whatever I need to do to appease him. Cain had a little bit of this moment in here where he's going to offer just just whatever's necessary. He doesn't bring the first. He doesn't bring the best. And so when Abel's offering is accepted by God, Cain gets really, really angry. And God says, whoa, you know what to do. You know how to do what's right. But it's in this moment that Cain is so enraged with his brother that he can't even fathom how God could do this to him. Now, God cautions Cain. Cain, he's saying to Cain, in essence, he's really saying, Cain, I'm not playing favorites here. Cain, I'm I'm not choosing meat over vegetables. i got to tell you, when I was growing up, I used to like this story because I thought that God didn't like vegetables. I thought, I'm a meat lover. I thought, this is great, biblical evidence for meat only. And then God says, you know, there's no preference here. You know what to do, it was right. And so in this moment right here, he says, will you not be accepted if you do it? And even though God personally speaks with Cain, what does Cain do? He chooses to ignore spiritual direction. Wow, that's powerful. That in a moment where God says, I'll put it right out in front of you, and you know if you do what is right, will I not be happy with you too? And he is so enraged, and his emotions are so out of control that he just absolutely turns the other way. Same thing happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. No, plague, 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 let my people go. No, plague, 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 until the firstborn dies in Egypt. And then he willingly lets those people go, and it wasn't so willingly he pursued them. Jesus would actually elevate the level of this for us to understand that it's not just our external, uh, our external actions, it's the internal condition of our heart. Look in your notes, Matthew chapter 5, 21. You have heard it said, Jesus said to the people long ago, that you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Everybody's going, yeah, yeah, we get that. That's the court and the law. But, he goes on to say, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister 
will be subject to judgment. Jesus takes and he elevates this whole essence of our life and the condition of our heart and our spirit towards people. And he goes, do you understand that when you allow your emotions to get out of control, that even how you begin to think brings repercussions into your life? Even if you don't commit the action, your emotional connectivity to that person and the way you respond and the way you act towards that person changes your entire relationship and it devastates our relationships to such a serious degree. Go into your notes. Number two, there's another hazard we need to look at. So not only do we ignore spiritual direction when we're all ramped up and we're amped up in our emotions, uncontrolled emotion will cloud your judgment. It will cloud your judgment. When our emotions are just peaking and off the charts, Our perception of reality tends to become very distorted and self, we become a little more of self attuned and we interpret stories to our own perspective. Our interpretations of people's words and actions and thoughts are all filtered through our lens of understanding. And if somebody does something that we perceive to be negative or wrong, then we start to think they're working against us. So we allow emotions to interpret circumstances. They interpret our pain, our disappointment, our misunderstanding through our own lens, and it may be completely incongruent with what is reality. So let me explain this way. How many of you have ever written an email, sent a text to someone, and you expected you were going to hear back, you know, pretty much immediately, right? Anybody do that? And they don't reply to you. How do you feel? You get a little irritated, don't you? Let's be honest. You know, I sent you the email. I took the note. How come you haven't replied back to me? I sent you a text. What's taking you so long? I, I, you know, I reached out to you through Instagram. Why aren't you replying to me? And maybe it was a little bit urgent, or maybe you're asking, and there's a question that's in the middle of that. And we start to tell a story about the other person, even though we don't know what they're doing. So we're making assumptions now. We're going, well, well maybe they're busy. So we give them that little 60-second window that they can respond, and we're still happy with them. About an hour later, we're just ticked that they haven't answered us yet. How could they ignore me? Why are they ignoring me? Don't they like me? Did I say something yesterday? You notice how we do this? We start to tell stories. We build out an entire story to the point where some of us are going, I'm going to unfriend them from Facebook because they haven't even answered my text message. How rude of them. And then you find out their, their phone wasn't even charged, their battery was dead, and that's why they couldn't reply to you. But this is what happens is when we allow our emotions to get out of control, it begins to cloud our judgment. We don't think seriously, and everything just starts to run through our lens the way we feel. I venture to say there's a good number of us, not all of us, but I would venture to say there's a good number of us that in a moment of heated emotion, we either crafted an email or got engaged in a conversation, and we wish we could go back and take those words back again. So I know for some of us, we put an email together, and because we're just so upset with our boss, I'll tell you what I think of you, da-da-da-da-da. And then you're looking at it, and you go, send. And then you go, no, I shouldn't have sent that. Or you're having an argument, and you can feel your emotions, and you're face-to-face with the person. You know that voice in your head that goes, don't do this? And you go, it's okay. I've got, I've got myself. I'm controlling myself. I'm in control of this. And that voice continually says, don't do this. And then eventually you get to the place where you blurt something out, and you go, I cannot believe I just said that. We've done that. 
And that's what happens is when our emotions get the better of us, it clouds our judgments, and we do things that we wished we wouldn't have done, and the pain and the heartache is already in there. And we see it right in the notes here as well. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God's speaking to Cain. He says, Cain, if you do not do what is right, that's not a voice in his head. That was God speaking to him in present. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. Cain, get, a, get control on your emotions. And this was a man, he was intimately familiar with the caustic power and consequences of sin. Think about his life story for a few moments here. He probably was one of those moments and one of the children, him and Abel, in the night when they would go to bed when they were younger. Mom and dad, Adam and Eve, that's kind of a cool story right there, isn't it? But they'd be tucking them in bed and mom would tuck both of them in bed and the two little boys, you know, hey mom, Tell us the story of the serpent again. I mean, she had some amazing stories to tell those kids, didn't she? So tell us about the serpent again. Now, now why did you listen to the snake? And what was the result of that? Because kids can ask all kinds of neat little questions. Or going to bed and it's dad's turn to tuck them in. So here's Cain and Abel going to bed at night. And hey, dad, could you tell us about the time you played hide and seek with God? That's a really cool story. Tell us that one again. See, these boys were not oblivious to the consequence of sin. They're not oblivious to when sin clouds your judgment and you make some very, very devastating decisions. So in this moment here, the impact of sin and all that their family had already experienced, we learn that when we allow our emotions to get out of control, it clouds our judgment. We saw this. We talked about it last week. Moses, when God said, Moses, just speak to the rock, and he takes his staff and he just strikes the rock. What was that? That was his emotions getting the better of him. Peter would be the one to write in your notes, 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to get the better of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. When you are tempted beyond what you can bear, he will provide a way out for it so that you can endure it. Isn't that great? That means the next time you are like face-to-face embroiled in an argument and you're hearing that little voice in the back of your mind, that's God providing a way out. Where you go, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. But what happens? We allow these emotions uncontrolled and they cloud our judgment. Well, it gets worse. Go to number three, the third hazard I see in the notes here. Uncontrolled emotion always results in disaster. Particularly in Cain's life, Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. So Cain, rather disappointed with his brother's offering, says to his brother Abel, hey, let's go to the field. Let's go for a walk. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. This is sobering. Because we're reading thousands of years, thousands of years later. But I want you to think about this. Though they knew the devastating consequence of sin, they had been ejected from the garden, and now they realize that these mortal bodies are going to die, they're going to wear out, they're going to pass away, and they're going to, you know, they're going to earn their income, and they're going to earn their food by the sweat of their brow, and it's going to be hard and laborious, but they're going to make their way through it. They had never experienced murder. We're so used to it. 
You turn on the news, you, you just open up your iPad, you get your phone, you get a text, you see a headline flash across with a notification. You go, so many died over here, so many were killed over here, somebody was shot over here. We've almost become so conditioned to it, it doesn't mean anything to us. They had never had a murder. There had never been somebody who had demonstrably reached out and impacted another person's life to this degree, let alone his brother. So Cain does something that is absolutely horrific. Now, if your Bible's open, I want you to look at verse 8 and verse 9 just for a moment. Keep it in front of you. There's an interesting little linguistic piece here, the way the language is structured. Three times as we read it in the Bible, it says, your brother Abel, his brother Abel, your brother Abel. So three times that little reference is in there, and you go, you have to wonder why was it recorded that way? Why not just say your brother and then leave it at that? We all know who his brother is. Or why not just say Abel and leave it at that? Yet there's a connection of these two, and three times it gets repeated in these two verses. And what's interesting about this, it really elevates the severity of the sin. Because it's not like this isn't just somebody you didn't even know, and this isn't even a justified self-defense situation. This was your brother, your blood, your relative that you did this to. So the intention here is to raise to the very top the disastrous nature of what uncontrolled emotions can do. Now, I want you to hear this very carefully. Cain's actions were forgivable. We go, what? He murdered his brother. Aren't you glad that God's grace can reach every one of our failures? His actions were forgivable, but the consequences were unavoidable. So the consequences of his actions were going to play out in his life. And even though you'll see that there's the forgiveness opportunity in play here, the very nature of what he did resulted in something that he would live with for the rest of his life. The loss of his brother over a petty issue, the humiliation and pain and being separated from his mom and his dad and his relatives, being banished from the very area that he knew to be home, the enduring torment of his own personal conscience, he would forever replay that moment every time. He would think of his brother, and he would think of a worship and an offering. He'd be marked and marred for the remainder of his life. And look at Genesis 4, 13 and 14. It's not in your notes, so read it in your Bibles. It says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. He said, today you are driving me from the land, I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. I'll be a fugitive. I'm going to be an outlaw. I'm going to be a refugee. God, this is more than I can bear. And he realized that the consequence of that uncontrolled emotion was absolutely disastrous. And God had given him warning. God had given him the opportunity. But friends, that's what happens when we allow these uncontrolled emotions. Now, it may not result in a murder. It may not result in a death. But I think all of us understand the implication of what takes place here. A harsh word, physical abuse and violence, rejection. We become estranged from our family, parents, children, and relatives, no longer a part of the relationship. I I can't even begin to tell you how many times I'll be in a counseling session and speaking with people. And I'll ask about family members. Well, can you talk to your family member? No, they won't take my call. Could you send them a letter or an email? No, they won't even open the mail. This isn't like one or two 
isolated incidents. This is a repeated pattern because what happens here, there was a moment in time where something escalated to the point where words or actions were acted out, and they were so severe, so harsh, that it broke relationships apart. You meet people who have wandered on the streets, kicked out of their house because mom and dad didn't know what to do with the kids anymore, and they go, you're out, you're on your own. And they end up growing up on the streets. Everybody has a life story. Some of you are sitting in the room today. Some of you are listening to my voice. There are disastrous results when we don't get a hold of our emotions, and Cain demonstrates that for us. Proverbs 25, 28, it says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. All protection, all security, all safety is sacrificed when we lose control of our emotions. Number four in your notes. Let's look at a fourth hazard. Uncontrolled emotion abdicates responsibility. So when God confronts Cain with his action, I want you to notice Cain's response. It's there in Genesis 4, verse 9. So the Lord said to Cain, he said, where's your brother Abel? Now watch the response. I don't know. He just killed him. He's probably still got blood hanging off of his fingers. I don't know. And then he goes, am I my brother's keeper? Now, this is fascinating to me. Did God know where Abel was? Of course he did. Nothing is hidden from God. Daniel talks about that. Daniel 2.22 says, everything, even things done in darkness, God already sees it. So nothing's hidden from God. So God says, why would he ask Cain, where's your brother? He's given him an opportunity to own his own mistake. I love that about God. He brings us to the point, he goes, just confess that. Just bring it out in the open and let's talk about this. He goes, so where's your brother Abel? I don't know. And he goes, am I my brother's keeper? Here's what happens when we abdicate responsibility. Our emotions, we get so worked up, we get so angry, we get so frustrated, and then we deny responsibility for our actions. So what does Cain do? First, there's denial, and then there's defiance. Wow, the arrogance in this. This is God, creator, the almighty one, the one who enables and gives breath to his very life. And he says, where's your brother? And he goes, I don't know. And then he goes, am I my brother's keeper? You thought I was bad last week talking back to my mother. Check Cain out here talking back to God. This is amazing. So here in this moment, you have to ask yourself, where did Cain get this trait? Now, we know that sin entered the world Our corrupted sin nature leads us to do things, and so lying and deception, it's all in play here. But but think carefully about it for a moment. Where does this come from? Remember his dad, Adam? The Bible says they're walking in the cool of the garden. They heard the Lord God, and they hid because they were naked. And so God says to Adam, he said, who told you you're naked? Then God asks a question. Did you eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree? And what does Adam say? Yes. Did he? No. He goes, the woman you gave me. He abdicates respect. He threw her under the bus, like right away. So God's given Adam a chance. He goes, did you eat of the fruit of the tree? All you have to do is say, this is not a hard question. You know, multiple choice, yes, no. He could have just said, yes, no, the woman you gave me. So God goes, Eve, what is this you have done? Is it true? Does she say yes? No. The serpent made me. No wonder Cain was already in the pattern of understanding how easy it is to abdicate responsibility. The power, what happens, the tragedy from uncontrolled emotions is so devastating. Yet God gives us this wonderful opportunity 
of just disclosing, owning our mistakes, owning our failures. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, write it into your notes. It says, the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. That's the beauty of coming into a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. He wants us to own the fact that we have made mistakes. We have chosen wrong paths. We have sinned. He goes, when you do that, that's the kind that leads towards repentance. But so often what we do is even when we know we're wrong, we still abdicate responsibility. How do we know this is true? It's when we get pulled over by the police officer, we act like it was the car's fault. It was going too fast. I surely couldn't have been speeding, officer. Do you ever get one of those tickets in the mail for running through a red light or, you know, the the speeding zone? And it comes in, and before you even open it, you know what it is. You've already figured out who in the family is responsible for it because it couldn't have been you, right? And you open up, who would do such a thing? And then you see your picture, you go, that's a pretty good profile shot, actually. I guess that was me. That's human nature. We abdicate responsibility. And yet what we realize is that God calls us into this opportunity. There's a hazard associated with it that if we do not control our emotion, it will get us into some very, very dangerous territory. So what do we do with all this? Where do we go with it? Well, the beautiful part of the Scriptures is that the Bible says that even in the midst of having uncontrolled emotions, when everything is boiling up inside of us, we may see, we may experience, we may go through some difficult moments, but the Bible says that there is this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, and it's called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that's available to us. We go, oh, that's amazing. Okay, I can do that. So you know what we do? We try to be love. We try to exercise self-control. We try to develop. So in our own efforts, we try to do these things. But what does the Bible say that that is? It is the fruit of who? The Spirit. So Jesus said, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. That means if I abide in Jesus and he's abiding in me, the fruit of my life by abiding in Jesus is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But if I'm not abiding in Christ on a regular basis, and in my mind I know what I need to do, then I'm going to try to produce this fruit on my own power. And if you try to produce the fruit, it will be the fruit of Cain. It will not be an acceptable offering. But if you are submitted to surrender to the Spirit of Christ within you, and you're walking in relationship with Him, then He said, then my Spirit will live in you. And as you walk in obedience to me, then He said, then you're going to have this love. You're going to have this joy. You're going to have this peace. You're going to have that little voice that's going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Get out of that argument. Don't take your kids on. Don't fight with your boss. Don't fight with your spouse. And the Spirit within you will lead you and guide you. And I don't know about you, But that's the path I want to go. I want to have the fruit of Christ, not the emotions of Cain. Don't you? So let's pray together. Father, this morning we recognize there's only one way to truly live and walk in the abundance of your spirit, and that's through surrender. And so I pray for everyone that's listening to my voice, those that are watching me online, gathered in the rooms together today. We realize that 
We have made mistakes. We have sinned. We've missed the mark. And you've paid through your son, Jesus Christ. You made it available that we could have grace and the forgiveness of our sins. And we so thank you for that. But every day we live, we have opportunity to make choices and decisions. And so often we try to choose to do in our own power what we think is right. And many times we respond inappropriately. But today, we want to choose to surrender afresh to you, to make ourselves available to you, Holy Spirit, to let you live and lead in our lives, that we wouldn't do it on our own power. And I think each of us in the depth of our hearts, we know the mess. We see the arguments, the pain, heartache. We see family that is estranged from one another. Jobs that have been lost because anger outbursts got out of control. All kinds of devastation. But today, there's an opportunity for us just to surrender in your presence. And even this week, to walk with the freshness of the Spirit in our lives. Would you help us to do that? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet in this room over in the chapel, video cafe, if you'd stand as well. Now, here's what I want to do. We've left just a little bit of time here at the end of the service for us to express our offering to God. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to sing a very simple song about surrender. Because, friends, that's what it really is at the end of the day. It's giving our lives to God, surrendering our emotions and our thoughts and our actions to God. It's when we surrender that he takes over, doesn't he? So would you join us? And let's just worship God and give him our first and our best.
I can know you more. That in every dimension of our lives, there's so much to learn. Every character of the scripture, even from somebody like Cain. And I know we can look at our lives and many of us can trace back and go, I bore the scars and the pain of somebody else's uncontrolled emotion or experiences. But our journey today is that we wouldn't look back to those that did something to us, but that we would be those fresh surrender to Christ and we would go out and live as his agents of grace, his brothers, his sisters, in a marvelous way. Can we do that? Let's just offer surrender as I pray. Father, this morning, with hands turned towards you, simple prayer, we surrender our lives to you. We thank you for your amazing, amazing grace and how it transforms us. And we offer, offer you our brokenness, our mistakes, and our failure. And we pray, God, that healing would flow. And as we go out into this week, that all that we do, all that we say, would be led of the Spirit. It would yield the fruit of the Spirit and truly would exemplify who you've called us to be. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.